You may be seated. It's been said that life is not measured by time, but by moments. And that might sound a, a little bit silly. Everything we look at is measured in time. We look at calendars and planners, and, and uh, maybe you, you plan every moment of every day. Uh, but the big moments in life, those are the things that we remember. You, you may not remember um, when it happened. You might not remember the year. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe you don't remember the year that you got married, but you remember at least part of your wedding day. I, I, I would hope, at least. Um, but uh, a, a child's birth, uh, you know, just, just big things that happen. We can look and we can think of every little detail, every, every moment of those things. Um, but if I ask you what you did last Tuesday, anybody, anybody know what they did? Yeah, you don't remember. Some of you might, but probably most of you don't. Uh, a few of you have asked me about it, and if you haven't asked me, I've just, I've just told you anyway because I'm excited about it. I'm uh, helping to coach the, the junior high girls basketball team, and, and they did really well. They're, they're in state, not because of the coach, but because of the players, of course. We have to give them credit, you know. Um, no, they've done really well. Um, but uh, our eighth grade team, we had a regional championship game. We were, we were down, and, and uh, one of the girls... Um, uh, she made a th uh, she banked in a three with about three seconds to go to put us up to win the game. That is a big moment. We may not remember the day, but that is going to stay with her forever. It's going to stay with the whole team forever. But 24 years ago, in a regional championship for the Mount Pulaski boys junior high basketball team, some guy missed a layup with like a minute and 32 seconds left. And that is not going to w go away. Even if that person tries to forget, his friends continue to remind him over and over again. It is a big moment in time for those people. And so today what we're going to do, we're starting a, a new series. We're starting our Christmas series. We're gonna, just going to call it Moments. We're looking at big moments centered around the Christmas story. Today, a moment of obedience. We're looking at a guy named Joseph. I know you've probably heard of Joseph, um, but he's really... Not a, doesn't seem like he's usually a huge part of the story. He's, he's left out a lot. We'll read about him. We're going to talk about him in a difficult moment that he faced and how he stayed obedient to God. We get to see how it all played out. We, we know we celebrate this every year. We read the stories. We read it in Matthew. We read Luke chapters 1 and 2, and, and we get to see how it played out. We, we know the end of the story. We know what Jesus grew up to do and, and, and who he was. This was not an easy moment for him. This... Uh, happy, fun holiday Christmas season, sometimes, sometimes it's not, um, it was not for him. And, and just maybe thinking about how he stayed obedient in a tough moment, maybe that will help us to consider staying obedient in a tough moment. See, maybe you've done this before, um, you felt prompted or led to obey God in some way. He's telling you to help this person or to reconcile this relationship or, or to forgive this person or to do something that you think this is what needs to happen. This is the right thing to do. This is the loving thing to do. And you do it. And then years later, you look back and you think, I'm so glad that I listened. I'm so glad that this happened and played out the way it did. I know it could have gone a different way. It was a different way. And then, and then I, I listened to what God told me to do, what he prompted me to do, what he led me to do, and, and now there's a blessing. Or you felt that prompting, you felt led to, and you didn't do it. And then you think, what if? What if I had followed him in that moment? What would have happened? We don't know. We missed out on it. 
it's fun to see how it played out in the story. We don't get to control the future. We don't get to know the future, the future, but we can obey God and watch what happens. We get to see how this happened in Joseph's life. And so we're going to start right in the story in Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18, says this. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. Now, I'm just going to pause there. It feels like a, one of those Hallmark moments, you know, a Christmas card. This is, this is, this is going to be a really good, fun story. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Well, it wasn't so fun very long. Isn't that how life is sometimes? We get pumped up for something, we think something's going to be so great, and this relationship's going to be perfect, this job's going to be perfect, this church is going to be perfect, and then there's a letdown. That's how the, story, the Christmas story started. Maybe it's such a big moment, but a stressful and terrible moment for Joseph. He's, he's such a big part of the story of Jesus, but we don't read a single word that he says. We don't get to hear him talk. We don't get to try to, you know, get to know him better through what he says. We don't get much information about him either. We don't even know um, exactly when he died. It's just sometime between when Jesus was around 12 to 30, somewhere in that range, um, he, he just, he died in there. Most scholars believe that he died and that they didn't divorce, um, or that probably would have been mentioned. But then Jesus stays home until he's 30, and that was a tradition if your mom was a widow. Um, we also know that Jesus said on the cross to, uh, to John, he said, take care of my mom. Um, if, if she weren't a widow, I mean, what would she need, why would she need to be taken care of? That's how things were back then, though. And so in this story, Joseph and Mary, it says they were pledged to be married. Now, when we hear they were pledged to be married, I think all of us would think the same thing in our culture. They were engaged. That's when you read that, you, without the context, without studying into it, they were engaged to be married. But it was more than that. She was likely around 14, maybe give or take a year. Uh, but it was more of a legal agreement. It, it was like they were married, except they weren't, able, they weren't allowed to consummate the marriage until after the formal ceremony. But the bond was there, the pledge was there. I mean, it was, there was probably some kind of uh, a formal agreement, maybe with their parents involved before. Uh, this was, they were like, it was like they were married. And she was a virgin who comes to him and she says, I'm pregnant. Uh-oh, this isn't good. This could ruin a few lives here. People would either think that Mary and Joseph got a little too close or that Mary got a little too close to someone else. Either way, this was not good for Joseph. This was going to look really bad. Although it wasn't very common, Joseph had some choices. Uh, he could have had, had Mary stoned to death. He could have said, hey, it wasn't me, and, uh, and she, she needs to die. He could have done that. He could have publicly shamed her, but it says right in the scripture he didn't want to do that. Instead, he was going to divorce her quietly so that she wouldn't be shamed. It would still change her life. Don't, don't think that just because this was quiet that people weren't going to recognize that she was pregnant and that she has a baby all of a sudden. Um, she likely would have had to have a, um, a, a, a job that would be very less than ideal, um, possibly uh, giving her body uh, to, uh, uh, to make a living. It's in all these details in this story that's not, not, that, uh, not that great, or at least it wasn't for Joseph. This is when we learn what kind of man Joseph really was. 
He wasn't after revenge. He, he didn't wish her ill will. He didn't want to shame her or disgrace her. And in this terrible moment, a moment that likely would have kept him from sleeping, probably a moment of, of worry and fear and anxiety and shame and stress, this was about to be the biggest, most holy moment of his life because of the way he responded, because of his obedience to God. See, here's what happened. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, divorcing her, after he had considered that, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Joseph was in a tough spot, and he was given exactly what he needed. Now, it's probably not what he was looking for, it's not something that took away any public, uh, uh, you know, maybe a disgrace or perception of what may have happened. I mean, people are going to assume one of two things, and uh, neither were good. That wasn't taken away. Basically, he was, he was told this. He, he had a dream, and an angel spoke to him in his dream and said, Mary didn't do it. This child you're about to raise is God's son. He's going to save the world, and you're going to raise him. And... And if you believe all this, Joseph, if you believe the angel in your dreams, stay with her. Who would do that? If I have that dream, this situation, try to put yourself in it. You have this dream, you wake up, an angel talked to me and he said that my, this child that is you know, born in a, in a situation that's not going to look good is going to save the world and, and it's, uh, it's this uh, you know, amazing miracle that happened. And wait, was I dreaming? Is my mind playing games on me? I mean, who's really going to believe this? Joseph did. And he stayed with her. What would you have done? We'd probably try to convince ourselves it was just a dream. It's not logical. Joseph didn't ask for more proof. He didn't ask for reasoning. He didn't negotiate with God. He didn't say, just give me another sign. And if maybe two or three, then maybe I'll believe you. He didn't do all that. It just says, uh, after the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, verse 24 says he woke up and he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He stayed obedient. And this is huge. It's a reminder to us because life is tricky. Life is tough and it's confusing and we want to do the right thing. We don't always know how to do the right thing. But in this moment, we learn that you don't have to understand everything completely to obey. You don't have to know all of the details. Um, because when you think about what he didn't know, you know, there's, there's that song, Mary, Did You Know? And it's all the things that, it's rhetorical questions, maybe. Think about what Joseph didn't know. He, he didn't know for sure what happened. He knew he wasn't a part of it. He wasn't given proof. Maybe he did know because he, he, because he was trusting God so much, but he didn't have proof. He didn't know what was about to happen. He didn't know that they were going to have to travel uh, was it 750-some miles? I got some help. I said the wrong number this morning. And uh, they had to travel. Could you imagine traveling 750-some miles with, with a, 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 a pregnant woman? Um, I'm trying to choose my words carefully here. But 
you're not driving a car. There's not, you're not going to stop at McDonald's or Chick-fil-A on the way. I mean, this is not going to be a fun trip. There's some danger, and, and you, you have to travel with her. Uh, good luck. <laughs> if he knew that, that might have changed some things. <laughs> no, I, I don't think it would have. But he didn't know a lot. He didn't know that Herod was going to say, okay, all the, all the young boys, uh, they're going to be put to death. Didn't know they would have to flee, flee the country. I mean, this was a, this was a lot. He, he didn't know, and that was okay for him. He was still willing to obey. Where do you feel right now? In this moment that God's prompting you, I think we probably all have something. There's probably someone in your mind that you think, I need to, I need to have a conversation with them. I need to uh, forgive them, or I need to try to reconcile something, or I need to give something to them, or I need to spend time with them. I think we probably all have that, because I think, I assume we probably all do most of the time. There's something that we could do that would make, make the world a little better, that would make it more peaceful, make our families or our communities better if we would just, if we would listen to that prompting, if we would obey. We don't know what's going to happen. We, we have excuses. I don't have time. I'm just, you know, I would do that, but I'm just so busy. Uh, I would do that, but I don't have the money to, and, 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 you know, right now I could, if I did this, then what would happen? Uh, and I like my life the way it is, and I'm comfortable with this, and, and I just want it to just to be the way it is, so I'm not going to do it. I assume Joseph probably felt that way. He had, had his whole future ahead of him. He was, he was respected. There's a lot of things that I studied and learned about with the wording that, that, uh, that he was looked at as a, a respected person in the community. You think that's going to stay? But obedience is our part. We only trust God with the outcome. We have to. But, you know, in the church, this isn't how we measure a good Christian. Uh, we say, well, learn more of the Bible and memorize more scripture, and pray more, and listen to Christian music, and serve more, and, and do all these things. But what about just obeying what we already know? Well, I'm not saying learning is bad. I've been told sometimes my sermons aren't deep enough. Maybe that's true, but I want to say, well, if it's not that deep, then it should be easier to, to do something with it. It should be something to apply, but so much, so much, so often we just want to uh, consume. We want to take in more, and learn more, and, and, and do what with it? I mean, good job if we take in so much and we have all this scripture memorized, but we can't love the person next to us. We can't love our neighbors. What are we going to do with it? It's all about obedience. We don't know a lot about Joseph. I said that earlier, but we do know his character. Not through what he said. We, we, we didn't get to hear his words, but through his actions. And you know, the old proverb, actions speaks louder than words. Of course it does. We live in a noisy, opinionated, argumentative, critical time. People are really good at sharing their opinions and their judgment on other people and their thoughts and doing nothing, and they do nothing that's relevant. They do nothing to make it better. I don't want us to be that. I don't want to be that myself. Joseph gives us a good example of how not to be that. Stay obedient to God. He offers hope in those that are dealing with less than, a less than ideal circumstance in the holiday season. I know a lot of people are. The holiday season, as much as it's always made to be joyful, and we have reason for joy, but it's not in our circumstances. There's challenges all around us. But when life is hard, Joseph was still obedient, and that's the picture that I want us to take today. So how did he do it? How can, how can we apply this to our lives and be obedient in the hard times as well? One big thing he did, he decided to do the right thing, and he decided to do it in the right way. 
Now, we won't always get it right. We won't always do the right thing. Sometimes we'll think that we are, and then we look back and we think, I shouldn't have done it that way. But when we get that part wrong, because we will, would we still be willing to do it in the right way, in a loving way? I mean, like, he was going to do the, the wrong thing at first, but he thought it was the right thing. He was going to divorce her quietly, but he was going to do it in a loving way. I don't think we really ever should get that part wrong. I mean, we, we can always do something in a loving way, even when we miss, even when we don't get it right perfectly. Joseph was thinking about what he should do in a situation. And when, when, you, when you get that word should, that's when we start to think about ethics and morals. And where does our morality come from? How do we even come close to being obedient? Because, you know, we, we know we don't get it right so often. Where does our sense of right and wrong come from? Basically, I'm trying to figure out how do we know when, when God doesn't speak to us through an angel in our dreams, how do we know what to do? C.S. Lewis, um, he was an atheist and became a Christian, and uh, one of his books, The Case for Christianity, he wrote this. He said, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how I got this idea of just and unjust a man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. Some people may argue that different civilizations in different ages have had quite different moralities, but they haven't. They've only had slightly different moralities. Just think what a quite different morality might mean. Think of a country where people were admired for running away in battle, or, or where a man felt proud of double-crossing all the people who had been kind to him. Wherever you find a man who says he doesn't believe in real right and wrong, You'll find the same in going back on this a moment later. But some people will say, by moral law, aren't you just talking about natural instincts? No, because two instincts can be at odds. An instinct to help someone and an instinct to protect yourself. So what is it that tells us that, uh, what instinct we ought to follow at the time? It's like the notes on a piano. There are no right notes or wrong notes, but there are notes that are right and wrong at certain times. But what determines that? What or who sets the tune for our lives? The moral law, if there's a law, then it, it came from someone, and the most rational answer is that there must be a moral lawgiver. Saying that it has to come from somewhere. Where does this obedience come from? In Romans 2, it says the law is written on, on every single person's heart. And, and what I'm saying is that we're not going to get it right, but there is a standard. And Jesus gave us that standard, and he told us, uh, the, this new command I give you, love one another. There's all these rules and these things that if we just check it off, no, that's, that's too easy. 619 laws from the, from the religious leaders. I think that I got that number right. I'm not completely sure. I mess up numbers a lot, apparently. Um, but uh, oh, there's just one. Love one another. This is hard. But this idea, it's pointing to the fact that we live in a moral universe where there is right and wrong, and it matters because it matters to God. And all this to say is we're without excuse. I tried. I tried to do my best. Did, did we? Did we really? Our sense of right and wrong points us to God. And it, in this moral universe that we live in, God wants us to do the next right thing. Consider what that might be for you. It might not feel like it matters much, but you might be missing out on the big picture. If Joseph only looked at that circumstance, at that, that current temporary situation, and he said, here's, here's the thing I should do, if he just looked there and he wasn't obedient to God, the result would be different. 
And, and so for us, how do we love in the little things? You know, that next email that you send or the next conversation that you have, what's your attitude going to be like? I think we just ask, ask yourself, you ask yourself, what's the thing I least want to do right now? I think there's a, there's a good chance that that's what you need to do right now. And what's the hard choice that might not be popular, um, but it'll, it's, it's the best choice in the end? I mean, looking at Joseph's situation, maybe they're not all that hard, and maybe the outcome won't always be that amazing. But we, we have the same excuses that he could have had. I mean, it's too hard. Yeah, that was not going to be a, an easy situation for Joseph. It, it takes time. Move past all that. Just move on with your life the way things were. It means swallowing our pride. He had, to do, he had to do a lot of that. It means putting ourselves in someone else's shoes. If Mary's telling the truth, what am, what am I doing here? It means losing friends and popularity. The community will, would have looked to him a lot different. But are we, are we willing to give up any of those things? Or do we just look around and worry about what people think of us and, and what the outcome might be, and we don't really trust God? We know that we should do this, but it's going to be too tough. It's too difficult. Now, sometimes, like Joseph, we get it right in this situation. I feel like he did, but we don't always, and Joseph didn't either, and Joseph needed a Savior. And so where does that come from? Well, that's why this holiday season is so joyful. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor. He was in prison for his part in an assassination attempt on Adolf Hitler. And when he was in prison... Um, he wrote that while he was inside the cell, he had one of the best experiences of Advent in his life. Could you imagine? It's Christmas season, and I'm in prison now. And this was one of the best. He said, because he learned this lesson, he said, Here I am trapped inside a cell, and my only hope is for someone to come from the outside to rescue me. There's nothing I can do to get myself out. I need a rescuer. This is why we have joy. This is what God did for us. This is what Jesus did. He was a rescuer from the outside. God didn't lower the bar. He didn't say there's no moral standard anymore. You don't have to be obedient if you don't want to. But he says, you won't get it perfect, but I'll take care of it. That's grace. That's a gift of, of eternal life. That's a, a gift of new life and forgiveness. And this is what he does through Jesus. See, Joseph is, is a representation. He, I mean, he, he was a real person but he points to Jesus, just like most of the people in the Bible do. Most of these stories point right to Jesus. Joseph was not willing to shame and disgrace Mary. Jesus came in, and he takes our shame away and doesn't hold it against us. This is forgiveness. Joseph might inspire us as an example of someone that we could try to be like. Jesus can only redeem us. And then finally, in the story, the angel says that Jesus will save people from their sins. One of the powers of shame is the belief that, that our moments, our bad moments, can never be redeemed. And so we bury them. I don't want to think about it ever again. That's long gone. That's in the past. Yeah, it's not, it's not held against us anymore. But there's something to this. See, that, that maybe we can allow God to use it. We have to remember that God can use the hardest moments of our lives and do great things through them. I think of really small thing, but, and I didn't even share this first service because it just came to my mind right now, but that layup that I missed 24 years ago, that's helped me in coaching other people to uh, not say don't miss layups or everyone will make fun of you forever, but it's okay, it's just basketball, just move on, you know, just, just small things. 
And, and the truth is that, you know, there's bigger things that I could, I could share. I just don't really want to share some things right now. And there's probably things that you have that, you know, you've gone through a tough situation, a broken relationship, uh, 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 some kind of trial or challenge in life, that if you would be willing to share your experience with someone else, someone needs it right now. I mean, someone needs someone else to come alongside them and say, you know what, there actually is hope. Uh, it, this isn't it. And it's hard to do that sometimes because we don't want to talk about it anymore. But God's able to take those low moments in our lives that we want to bury and use them to bless others. I think it's hard to accept that, though. We can accept that God loves us through our shame. We can accept that, that God's even present with us in our shame. But that can, He can actually use them? That's tough. But that's exactly what He did in this story. I know it's a little different. Joseph didn't cause the problems, but he lived through them. That's this story, and then it points again to the cross. He took the cross, all of our shame and sin, and he turned that symbol of defeat into a, a symbol that he wanted. See, he, the symbol of, of torture and, and pain and nakedness and shame, anyone that looks at you on the cross I mean, what do they see? They see a criminal who's naked and, and has lost all dignity. And God took that symbol and he said, no, I don't want the cross to be a symbol of that anymore. I want, I want it to be a symbol for, for hope and forgiveness and for my love. And that's what it is now. We wouldn't put a cross on the stage. People wouldn't wear crosses on their neck if it was for what it had it intended to be or what people intended it to be. But because of what God intended, because God used the shame and our sin, he turned it into something that it is now. That's a symbol of, of hope and love. Hope can be found on the cross. It can be found in Joseph's life. It can be found in your lives. It's for all of us. This is how God works, and specifically, that's how God worked through obedience. If Joseph were, decided to not be obedient to God, I don't, I don't know how it would have played out. I believe that it still would have played out in some way, and, and God would make it happen, right? But Joseph got to be a part of it. He got to, he got to be a part of the story that we still read about him today. How about us? We're not going to be written in the Bible, but we're a part of the kingdom. We're a part of the body. We can be a blessing to someone else to reach that desired outcome. God can take your worst moments and break them down and turn, the, turn them into something beautiful. And so I encourage you, whatever your moment is, to realize that as you look at it, it's not too dark. You're not too far gone. It's not too disgusting for God to reach in and do like what he's always done and redeem it. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this story of, uh, of, a, of a person that maybe we don't give much thought to, uh, but we can probably all relate to, uh, maybe more than any, anyone else in these stories. I thank you for Joseph's obedience to you, um, but most of all, I thank you that you showed us another example, another story of how you work in our lives. Even in those difficult moments and the challenging moments and the, in the, the hardest times in our lives, you are willing to work through those to redeem those, those situations and, and to uh, show your love to us. And so I pray that we can be obedient, not for ourselves. We know a lot of times it's, it's, the, it's the opposite of what we want to do, um, but for you, uh, for your kingdom, and for all those around us. Help us to take the next step in obedience. We love you, and we thank you for Jesus. And it's his name we pray. Amen.